So welcome to the Embark Pod mini pod brought to you by Embark Group as we take a snapshot look at some of the finer topics from across the industry today. We're joined by Andrew Keegan, who is head of wealth investments at BlackRock, and we're going to be talking about ESG. Now that's uh, a collection of initials you hear an awful lot in the investment space right now. Uh, welcome to the uh, pod, mini pod, Andrew, and thanks for being with us. Let me kick off by really just getting you to define what ESG is. It's a very common uh, set of initials, as I said, but perhaps we should just define our terms to start with. How do you see it? Yeah. Hi, Roger. Thank you very much for the time. So first level set, there is a range of things kind of meant by sustainable investing in the broad sense, ethical, uh, social and governance. We kind of think about these in terms of values-based investing, which means making sustainable decisions in a portfolio without taking a particular view on their impact on the investment return. For example, when an organization screens out specific stocks, whether it's gambling, alcohol, etc., this typically takes the form of screening or excluding securities from portfolios. Value-based investing is different. This is where investors use insights about the sustainability of companies in the valuation of their securities. A value-based ESG investor seeks to enhance their risk-adjusted return by taking into account material ESG insights in their portfolio construction. Okay, that's really interesting. You're talking, in fact, of sort of positive-negative. And on the positive side, you enhance the value. Now, a lot of people would say, well, the whole problem with ESG is you, in the end, sacrifice gains almost inevitably. But clearly, you're not taking that view. That's correct. I think that's one of the great myths that ESG investing means sacrificing returns. When it comes to ESG investing, particularly climate risk, um, we think you know you've got to look at both a risk and a return lens. Um, you know, if you look at uh, companies that have reduced their carbon footprint the most each year, they've outperformed compared to carbon laggards um, on a forward-looking basis. Actually, um, we now explicitly incorporate climate-aware characteristics, particularly of economies and firms that suggest lower carbon intensity uh, strategies will actually outperform their uh, carbon laggards over the next five years. That leads to not only a historical kind of recognition that there was no cost to return or risk from being more sustainable, but actually forward-looking, there's actually a significant return opportunity versus um, you know, companies that are perhaps laggards in this area. Well, let me dig into that a little bit more because it seems on the surface um, counterintuitive. I mean, I know that oil, it makes money. But if I invest in oil, uh, oil exploration, that kind of thing, obviously, that isn't the kind of thing you're thinking about. Uh, I can think of lots of things that would on the surface make me loads of money. But if I restrict myself because of the kind of criteria you're talking about, I can't really see how that is going to enhance my investment. So can you give me an example of how it might work? Well, firstly, I mean, this is not about restricting or screening out. This is about, you know, using the data available from these companies, which are broad, to really understand the potential opportunity and cost to that. I think it's important to understand, you know, when you mention oil, the idea of stranded assets. And these are typically those assets that, um, you know, are unlikely or unable to generate returns originally expected as a result of the decarbonization of the global economy. There are typically three types of stranding, the way we think of it. Um, And, you know, whether it's, you know, the energy transition or regulatory stranding, companies in this space are going to have to adapt. Again, so it's not about just screening them out. It's really looking at the information you can get from these underlying companies and how you can use that in terms of your portfolio construction. Sounds Um, much more challenging for an investor like you to do that, surely. Well, it's all about data. And I think there is a recognition out there that 
you know, the, the data metrics, the data providers, the correlation between some of their scores can be quite challenging. But in this instance, and, you know, we as many firms have called for greater standardization in this area, um, but ultimately, the more data available, the better. Um, and I think if you look at, you know, in terms of the potential breadth of strategies, moving away from purely screened to investing securities based on their overall ESG performance, um, or specifically pursuing, you know, an, an environmental, social, or governance focus. I think that is, um, you know, that's what we term more advanced approach versus an avoid or screened is really where uh, the future is. Well, clearly it's developing. I mean, even in the time which I've become aware of it, it's it's moved on. Where do you see ESG investing in, say, 10 years' time? What would it look like then? Well, if you look well, at today, today, we definitely see the potential for outperformance from those companies that are, you know, ultimately greener. There is a, you know, expected lower cost of capital on those companies versus those companies that were that are termed more browner or perhaps less ESG. Um, and again, you know, as as we look out, we're looking at, you know, the potential significant gains from these types of companies, specifically sectors and uh, also economies. Um, Ten years out, well, it's very obviously very difficult to to forecast. And we do think there'll be a greater role for not just the climate-aware focus, but also from an, a return perspective, looking into both governance, but also social aspects of sustainability. This is an area you know, that's clearly in, under the spotlight today with diversity and inclusion. And we definitely think this is an area ripe for investors to really get stuck into and use that data to try to understand how companies are going to operate. And I suppose a lot of it is going to come down to client pressure, because that, I guess, is the origin of it in a way. People saying, well, I'll invest my money, but I want these to be the criteria for that. I mean, what, what, where, where do you see that pressure? I mean, do you feel that pressure yourself coming from the people that you effectively represent? Yeah, I think there's a myth that ESG is just a fad or that clients don't care about it. Um, it's, it's been around for a long time, so it's increasingly hard to argue uh, as you know, climate science is, that it's just a kind of temporary or fad thing. Even if we take the recent pandemic as an example, we do recognise that there are some things that will kind of you know challenge this. I think um, you know if we look at the data from whether it's from a survey or flows, we have seen significant increase uh, in sustainable strategies over the last couple of years. Again, not only you know post uh, the COVID crisis, but also um, prior to that, so going right back. The data that we look at, um, you know, looking at 2015, you know, while it was deemed or ESG was deemed as a kind of niche strategy, it was definitely accelerating. 2017 increase, 2019 significant increase. And if you look at, you know, the actual flows, um, you know, sustainable investments took over a third of the overall net flows from UK wealth managers and financial advisors in that sort of third quarter of 2020. Um, and, you know, we're seeing you know, significant both interest from clients, but also, you know, from a regulatory perspective, this is definitely on the horizon. We've seen it play out in the EU, looking at uh, suitability regulation, um, and definitely something that we think the UK will not be uh, left behind on. Well, let's pick up that, uh, that, that stick of regulation, because it is something, I think, front and centre of a lot of people's minds in your position. How does regulation play into this? Where do you see regulation going? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to point too much on how it will shape up because there's obviously lots of different things uh, in this. But, you know, an integration, ESG integration framework is something that, you know, as an investment manager, we're looking at. We've been doing for many years, you know, engagement and voting, accountability and oversight, and of course, in terms of monitoring and reporting. Um, so if I'm a you know financial advisor, 
um, you're definitely you're going to see interest. And that interest, we understand, is not just from millennials. It's it's from everybody. And criteria, I suppose, are a big part of that, too. I mean, I suppose one, some, one thing some people might consider to be uh, socially responsible uh, and ticking most of the boxes, and other, other people might not feel the same way or want a different emphasis, perhaps, uh, or which of the E or the S or the G they want their investments to follow. I guess you have to balance that, too. Absolutely. I think when it comes to um, you know ways to incorporate or embed sustainable strategies into your whether it's your investment proposition or your own portfolio, we think about these in terms of three different ways. We're really you know increasing diversification and you know the potential to drive positive societal change. You know this is you know thematic based investments in renewable energy or social housing, which you know can drive that positive societal change, but also take advantage of attractive long term sustainable uh, returns. And I suppose maybe it's getting easier because ESG is something that's developed relatively recently. Do you find as an investor it's easier to get all these things right than it used to be just because there's more choice and more more companies, I suppose, ticking that box themselves? Yeah, I mean, there is a plethora of of sustainable strategies out there um, and they continue to grow. Again, it's it's really about, you know, moving from what was the traditional screened approach to thinking about investing in securities based on their overall ESG performance. And there's different ways to achieve that, you know, from a, you know, an optimized approach to just targeting the best in class or the 25% top scoring companies, but recognize that also comes with risk. And therefore that, you know, that insight, that data is important so that, you know, when you are, you know, trying to achieve that improved ESG score or trying to embed greater sustainable resilience in your portfolio, you understand what you're investing in. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for that. Andrew Keegan there, Head of Wealth Investments at BlackRock, joining us for this Embark mini-pod. Fascinating discussion. And I'll be back with more episodes. I'm Roger Hearing for now. From me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.